Shut up and sit down. Good evening, everybody. Um, My mic was turned off. (laughs) I hope you can hear me now. I turned it off earlier. I don't know why I turned it off earlier. Sometimes I get paranoid. Like, I'm wondering if somebody's using my mic to spy on me. I know, that's weird. I know. I know. Anyways. um, I got issues. My issues have issues. To be perfectly frank. Um... I I do have a sticker over my laptop camera. Um, it's the only ca- it's the and um, sometimes I turn my phone so it can't take pictures. I, you know, I just I I am not even ashamed of that because people are you know you just can't. It is what it is. It is what it is. Um. My mom keeps a sticker over her her iPad um uh um camera. <laughs> Just a little paranoia. <laughs> um tonight we're talking about um the quantum bang. Tonight we're going to talk about the quantum bang. I assure you that first thing I said was English. It just came out all wrong. I have no excuse. Um, although I have had a lot of caffeine today, which always, you know, I get a little fast. Tonight we're going to bang. Etc. Um, but uh, I had listened to uh, the Fix It podcast from before, and I listened to a, a large portion of the um, podcast we did on Big Bangs. So, um, I think I'm, I'm I think I'm ready to go. I'm get Jilly on the air and um she can uh talk about the quantum bang because she's been working on it and she can give us updates on the stats, I guess. Do you want to start with that? I was muted. Maybe she does. I was muted. I was muted. <laughs> stats, stats. Oh, what the hell? There's more in the stats than I expected. Wait a minute. What's going on here? Um Um, okay, 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 so that's new, all right, so stats, we are up to 75 authors, um, if, once I do the new pro, new sign-ups, um, we'll have 22 artists, and uh, five people who signed, exclus- signed up for no purpose other than to alpha or beta read, some authors or artists are also alpha beta reading, but people just dedicated to alpha beta reading. We have five, so um, awesome. that's a that's a total of I want to say we're like at eighty six people signed up. Cool. So that's a lot of people. Um, 
the bang blogs are going well. Our our blogs about our banging <laughs> never is not going to sound pervy. Um, which was the point? <clears throat> yes, I, I think whoever dubbed it a bang had to had to at least have some awareness of of the double entendre they were putting out there in the world. Maybe they didn't expect it to catch on like it did, but there you go. And then they were reverse well, banging, you know. What I think maybe they were just like, you know what, I'm gonna have a fan fiction orgy. What should we call it? <laughs> that that sounds like a plausible way that that could have become the name. Let's bang. Let's bang. Let's have a bang. I it um, is. Okay. I just. Um, I'm I'm gonna brag. I just passed 80k. Yay! That's great. Yeah, but you're not even at the 80. You're not at 80 percent yet, are you? I don't think you are. Um. Well, my goal is 150. So what's 80 percent of 150? Um, 120, I think. So. Yeah, 120. So she's not quite rough draft ready, but she's close. That's amazing. Um, I've got I've got seven pages of plot document left. 150 sounds reasonable. Yeah, because it's about well, I only have my total is 18 pages, so I've got 10 pages finished, and I'm at a I'm at what I said I was. I already forgot 80. So. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Sometimes, even if I'm more than, even though you're more than halfway through, sometimes I have like things that have come up from earlier writing that need to be worked out Mm -hmm. at the end. So the yeah, I had I had one little ripple that I didn't pay attention to when I was plotting um, that came back to not bite me, um, but. It had to. I had to pause and consider my life choices, um, so that was an issue. But I've resolved it, and it actually, I think it's a lot better. I feel like I've done um, something for the character that had the ripple that um, is really good. So. And so I actually gave that character a fix-it that I didn't intend on fixing. So um, that's that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, adding an extra fix-it, I'm all for, like, doubling down. I mean, you're already fixing a lot. So Yeah, there's a adding, lot going into it. It, it. it can't hurt to... I did take a break from my Quantum Bang stories. I'm working on... I, I do... I haven't abandoned all one of them, but I'm kind of thinking it, it won't be, won't get finished. Um, but between the three, I think between the three, I had about 30 K or so between the three stories, but um, they were all at points that had a lot of angst in them. And I've had a lot of personal drama lately. And I, I you know, I never write high angst anyway, but sometimes my stories have moments of high angst. And I just was not in the mood to write 
where any of those stories were and deal with that angst. I needed something fluffier. So I went off and worked on two other stories and wrote about 40K on those. So um, the writing has been going. I just haven't been working as much on the quantum bang because I needed to be in a happier headspace. And I would encourage, if, if, if a story is slowing you down or you're not in the right headspace to work on it, work on what you are in the right headspace to work on rather than not right would always be my advice is work on something else. So I just had a little bit of slowdown, but I'll get back to it. Um, I'm planning to get back to it, Alec, on the mid- like more towards the middle of the month. I want to finish up at least one of the things I'm working on now. So, and maybe edit one of my July stories so I can post it. Yeah, I but opened up both it. of mine from July and just went, nope, closed them. Made a face. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not in that place yet. I'm not there. Um. <laughs> um. So one, there have been like I. I get questions through a lot of different sources. There are questions that go up on the forum. Forum. Um. People who are already signed up. There are people who write me privately, who have my email address, or who contact me through my, my website, or who use the contact form on the Quantum Bang site, people who contact me on Instant Messenger, on Facebook. Yes, there are a lot of different ways you could get in touch with me, um, or Kira, or one of the other moderators. Um, and I think there have been two things that are kind of tied together that have persisted in being like unclear. And I think that's part of what we wanted to talk about tonight. I listened to most of the most recent podcasts. Um, I didn't quite get all the way through it. Um, and I think that I wanted to, one of the things I talked to Kira about is give like more tangible examples about some of the stuff we're talking about. Although the last podcast had a really tangible example right at the beginning about um, Hedwig being a phoenix. Yeah. Um, making a change, which actually, uh, that is a small fix you know, in its own. Saving Hedwig is a fix in and of itself, but that wasn't the fix that is her focus. And um, anyway, so there's been like this, this, I think, persistent issue about like the role canon plays in the fix-it and um, how much you have to fix and what that should look like and um one of the things we haven't wanted to do, I haven't wanted to do, is be overly prescriptive about how you have to fix things or how much of your story has to be focused on fixing. But the the general guidance is that the fixing needs to be your central theme. It doesn't mean you have to be fixing every moment, but it means that you need to be working out from your fix or working toward your fix. That's your that's that's your your role. And sometimes it's both. You're starting with a fix that ripples into a bigger fix. Um, but more often than not, you're doing one or the other. You're either changing things that eventually become a fix or you're fixing things and then letting things ripple out and showing the effect of the fix on the world, right? So if you fix something in Harry Potter's life early, like fix something major, like he's raised by somebody else, the story you're telling, I would assume, would showing how the story would be different with that stuff being fixed. 
it doesn't mean that you need to adhere to and and probably couldn't adhere to canon if you've made a major change because well, that's like against everything I stand for. So <laughs> I, um, you know, you need to let let the beat let the change be there. I mean, but the the whole whatever your plot is should be about. I mean, and there'd have to be some plot you're working towards in there. Um, but I gave, I, I, and not not everybody has access to the forum either because they haven't signed up or they are thinking and because they, they're thinking about it or just because they um, aren't going to sign up, but they're curious about fixes. So I gave some examples that I wanted to talk through about one thing that definitely isn't a fix it. This, it's basically taking a similar concept, a similar idea, and one application that is not a fix it, one application that is probably not a fix it, but I could tell you how it could be a fix it, and one application that is at least one a, a level one fix it and you could like level up that fix it if you wanted to you could go for bonus points so the idea was about the setting of a bakery au um and are you there i'm here can you guys hear me okay sometimes when things go quiet for a while and no one's posting in the chat room i'm like I've, we've had a couple of times where I, like, wasn't on the air. Um, <laughs> like, I'm just cruising along and, like, nobody's saying it. I'm, I'm not hearing anything. So. Um, so the idea is like a bakery AU. And let's start with the simple, straightforward, what is definitely not a fix-it. And that is a pure alternate setting, alternate reality AU, like a coffee shop AU or a tea shop AU, where everybody is fulfilling a different role and in a different function than they fulfilled in canon. So let's say Tony owns a bakery. He's always owned a bakery. Abby's his cake decorator. I should pull up this thread so I can remember what the fuck I said last night. Um, <laughs> Abby's his cake decorator. Gibbs owns the restaurant next door. So that... And he buys pastries from Tony. Um, McGee is maybe, I think he said he was an accountant. Ducky's a customer. Um, maybe Ziva is Gibbs' general manager. And Jenny Shepard is an inspector for the health department. And she hates Tony because she caught Gibbs staring at Tony's ass. Okay, there is nothing about this that is a fix-it. There is no way you could angle this to be a fix-it because there's no canon. None. And this is a case of where I would say even a pairing doesn't count because it, it's divorced from canon entirely. So there's no fix-it element there to fix. There's nothing. It's not a fix-it. Um, but take the same setting of a bakery and set it up a little bit differently where Tony's backstory is the same. It's canon. Um, which I have to – I want to take a, like a pause for – a a commercial break here and talk about backstory stuff that is mentioned in a canon setting like the story characters canon background anything that is factually mentioned in the show in the movie in the books that's all canon just because it didn't happen on screen doesn't mean it's not canon so um there's been a little bit of confusion about like pre-series stuff. Could that be considered canon? 
If it's factual, then it's canon. If it's inference based upon what we know, it's not necessarily canon. So, um, like canon says that Lily is Petunia's sister. Okay, if you if 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 you're relying on the canon element of Lily being adopted, that's not canon. But their background is canon. So canon encompasses everything that's factually laid out for you as the character's backstory. Now, unfortunately, in some shows, series, books, whatever, the creator contradicts themselves, <laughs> in which case you pick which canon you like better. <laughs> um, anyway, so we'll keep Tony's canon backstory the same. Um, that's a good point, Ellie. Gibbs would own the coffee shop. Uh, but we'll keep Tony's canon backstory the same through college. But when he um, was in college, here's where we're going to insert a different element, which is that um, Tony works at a bakery to help pay his way through college, the the stuff that his um, scholarship didn't pay for. So Tony is working in a bakery, and he finds it very relaxing, very soothing. Um, And when he breaks his leg and his, pro sports dreams go up in smoke he decides to stay a baker okay not a fix it um and the reason that's not a, i would call that a canon divergent au the first idea that's an alternate setting au alternate reality au um the idea about tony becoming a baker that is a canon divergent pre i would call it even elaborate further and call that pre-series canon divergence because his canon setting is the same. His canon background is the same. He's, he, but he, at some point in his life, he, it went different before the show started. But the reason why it's not an alternate setting AU is because conceivably everybody else and all the other canon elements remained. Gibbs still lost his family. Gibbs works at NCIS. Tony just isn't there. Um, Vicious is an example of a pre-series canon divergent AU. So anyway, now I would say that's not a fix it because what canon element are you fixing? Um, Could you make it into a fix it? Yes, you could. Let's say that Tony not being at NCIS and being a baker in some fashion puts him in Shannon's path and he's able to save Shannon and Kelly or at least Kelly. And then Gibbs doesn't lose his family. Gibbs doesn't murder Pedro Hernandez. And Gibbs doesn't become a murderer. Now, I'd have a hard time getting 50K out of this, but Gibbs would, this would not be a fix-it for Tony. This would be a fix-it for Gibbs and Gibbs' canon circumstances. So this would be taking um, this change because so what happened to Tony isn't a fix, not in the sense that we mean it. It would be taking that change and rippling it out into the fix for Gibbs. Okay? So you could take something that isn't uh, a canon divergent and turn it into a fix-it, but it's all about the angle, right? It's about who's who's the fix about, what's it for, where does it happen, um, and being able to track that through the whole story. i got to cough for a second. Anyway, third example, same thing, 
same setup, except when Tony broke his leg. Okay, so he worked at a bakery in college. But when he breaks his leg, he still goes through the cannon thing. He goes and goes to NCIS. He becomes a cop. Eventually winds up at NCIS. He's with NCIS for almost 10 years. And then dead air happens. Okay. And so you haven't put much, you haven't put anything in the story yet, right? That's just your setup. And then Tony finds out that he cannot handle working as a cop anymore, that his trust is completely broken. And he is going to leave NCIS. And he moves to um, New Orleans. And he remembers, he's trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. And he remembers that he really enjoyed being a baker. So he's maybe hanging out in the French Quarter. Some old dude runs the bakery. Tony goes in, is helping the guy out. They chat. Tony decides to buy the bakery. And he builds a new life for himself. So out of the horror that was his um, leaving of NCIS, his trust being shattered, giving up his career, losing his career. He moves to New Orleans. He gets his head on straight. He finds a new purpose in life, and he's happy again. I would call that a fix-it. Now, if we want to go for bonus points, a few years pass. Tony's happy in working out in the French Quarter. He's happy running his bakery. And one of his customers is Dwayne Pride. And Dwayne comes in for periodically. He maybe knows who Tony is, maybe doesn't. I think I'd write it that he doesn't know who Tony is. Um, and Tony still gets called in. One of the first episodes of NCIS New Orleans, they had what they thought was plague on a ship. And Tony was sent down to the New Orleans office to help with that case because they thought that he um, – I think the premise was that he had antibodies that made him – somewhat immune to plague. And so they were using him to help search for, I think plague, inf- I think plague infested rats on a ship, but I may be remembering that. Yeah. Topic. I think that you're, you're pretty close. You're pretty close. Yeah. So he, so he goes in. So what if, what if, what if Vance contacts him and says, I know you're not working for us anymore. Would you be willing to be a consultant on this one case? And what if that's when he and Dwayne find out, that Tony has his NCIS connection. Maybe he finds out Tony's real name. Maybe Tony's using a different name when he runs the bakery. And Tony starts, he works this case with Pride. And he's known Pride now for a few years. I want to say like four years passed between season eight and when NCIS New Orleans launched. And ultimately, let's say that this first fix ripples out into Tony finding someone who's actually worthy of his trust, and he is able to, at least part-time, function as a law enforcement officer again. He maybe has that moment where he's in the field undercover, and he is completely confident that Pride has his back, and that would be where you'd end the story. It's because he's gone on this journey where it broke, he fixed some stuff, and then he gets really fixed he finds a way to trust again. That would be like leveling up to fix it. And that would be taking, so that would be my example of taking the same basic concept of Tony owning a bakery and one application that is definitely not a fix it, one application that is um, 
probably not a fix-it unless you – it's not a fix-it on, on its own, but you could work it into a fix-it. And the third idea, which could be a fix-it, it is a fix-it, but you could do an epic fix-it with it. Um, and in, in all three examples, there's not a lot of canon preserved. Well, the first example, there's no canon. The second, the second example, um, canon is preserved, but not for the main character. Um, and then the third example, the fix, the nature of the fix obliterates canon. So you have canon as the background, but you don't have canon really going forward. So you're not trying to march to any kind of canon thing unless it makes sense that some canon event would happen. So for those who are in the challenge, I did post that basic thing, the three examples in on the forum, on the Quantum Bank site, if you want to refer to it. Um, if anybody has any questions, you're welcome to ask. Always welcome to ask questions. But I hope that that was at least somewhat helpful in clearing up the um, both is it a fix it um, and also the helping understand the relationship of canon to fix it. It's a basic rule of thumb is just to keep in mind that um, that you have to have canon in order to have something to fix. Mm-hmm. I mean. You can't fix what you broke yourself. Well, you could, but no. it be, but it wouldn't fit the challenge. Yeah, fix, that'd be. I mean, you could do a fix it of something you broke, but um, yeah, that that wouldn't be. It doesn't actually. That's not what. If you look at the tropes, that's not what a fix it tropes about. Is fixing your own stuff. So, um, but I do actually have a fix it in mind for iterum. Um, remember how I said that my biggest regret in Iterum is that I didn't save Charlie O'Neill? Well, the thing is, yeah. is that Iterum is told entirely from John or Rodney's point of view. Right now, neither John nor Rodney know what Miko and Lorne were up to. <laughs> on True. Earth because their point of view w- was never discussed. How they got there, it was barely, you know, they, they skimmed the surface on what happened to Miko and Lorne at the very end. So John and Rodney have no idea what those two were up to until they met. So I actually can arrange it where Evan Lorne saves um, Charlie O'Neill. I think he'd be the best position to do it. And probably have the most reason to. I mean, he's military. He worked under Jack for who knows how long. And he, you know, he was also would have been in the SGC when Charlie was revealed. So he would yeah. know. Yeah, he would know. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, I don't know actually what Miko got up to yet. I haven't plotted it, but it promises to be a great deal of fun. Um, it, it, it kind of hinted at Miko's preparedness when um, she brings in um, a bag she packed for Taylor that nobody noticed. <laughs> and yeah. she brings it out. <laughs> this is your stuff. 
So yeah. I was I like I was I was noodling it because it was irritating me that I hadn't done it and I felt like I had missed an opportunity. And then I was reading Iterum again and I realized that um I hadn't told any of the story from Miko or Lauren's point of view. And so I could actually write another story from Lauren's point of view, him getting where he got to the mission. And maybe even like end it as um, O'Neill tells him where to report when he agrees to go to Atlantis and he's given... Um, John's office and he goes to the door and knocks on it and you know reporting for duty and that could be the end of Evan's story there so I wouldn't be retelling events you know in interim because I hate that Uh, but that one of the things that Evan could do is is save Charlie O'Neill I think he would have to do it anonymously maybe even do it through George yeah probably through George and he'd have to ensure that Jack stayed on the mission Right. So he would, he would definitely probably and do it to George. In a position to do that. Yeah. And I just want to point out that that is that that is saving Charlie is a fix it. It's not it's not fixing a problem of her making. <laughs> I just want to point that out. Right, because but it Charlie would be a fix it for interim in my thing. It was because that really bothered me since I realized it, and I felt like I'm such a dick. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. It's fixing something that you wish you'd done in the original story, but it's a fix it on right. its own right. It's fixing saving Charlie. Yeah, it is. Um, it is. Um, somebody sent me a message and asked if Tony leaving with his trust shatter could really be considered a fix. Um, yes, because it depends upon what your angle is, right? Everything is about the most important thing is that the author be able to explain what they're fixing and why. And honestly, if you gave me a really good convincing story that even if I'm like, well, I, I wouldn't really consider that a fix it, but you had a lot of conviction, I'm probably just going to go, well, all right. Because I think one of the, one of the biggest challenges has been getting people to under, uh, articulate their fix. Like they give me a plot and there's no, they can't articulate what it is they're fixing. Um, so having a lot of conviction about your fix is is really really critical that you understand what you're fixing and why, and that you be able to understand how you're carrying that through your story. So, um, not every not fixing things doesn't always mean that they're turn up rosy. And we used in the, we used in the last podcast the perfect example. Didn't we talk about time travel in the last podcast? I thought that we came did. up. Um, we did. Is it some, sometimes traveling back in time actually makes things worse? You know, it, maybe it fixes one thing, but it could cause other problems. So it doesn't fixing things doesn't necessarily mean that everything is perfect. So if your fix is consequences for dead air or realistic repercussions, and the question is, is this a fix for the character, or is it a fix for the audience? And both are completely legitimate. And also, because keep in mind that one character's fix is, an, is another character's nightmare. Right. At, we've talked about point of view and perspective is everything. If, but if Tony is the main character, he may not feel like he's fixed, but getting him out of NCIS is, is the fix that I'd be going for there. 
I mean, the ultimate fix would be recovering from everything. But getting him out of there is the fix. Even if he's broken is the way to – even if his trust is broken is the vehicle that happens. But also, for me and for the audience, part of the fix would be real-world consequences. Um, and it's not just real-world consequences for Ziva and Tim and Gibbs and the agency. It's real-world consequences for Tony because the real consequences for a cop who can't – or for an agent who works undercover who can't rely on their backup, the consequences are pretty extreme. I, I don't know how they would ever be able to do their work. The anxiety would eat them alive. So sometimes the fix doesn't necessarily mean that it's things are necessarily, at least at first, better. So you aren't necessarily trying. Yes, generally in thing, the idea is that from, for the protagonist of your story, whoever that is, that ultimately things are going to be better. That's the general idea. <laughs> but it doesn't mean it's going to be a smooth sailing on the way there. Yeah, you got to write 50K. So feel free for there to be some bumps in the road. You can totally torture your characters. But what I was going to say is that a fix-it for Tom Riddle and a fix-it for Harry Potter are two entirely different animals. Very. And that's why you've got to know who your protagonist is. And if Tom Riddle's your protagonist, Harry might die. Harry won't be the only one. <laughs> You'll need a bigger death list than I ever could have created on Darkly Lowell if you're going to be fixing um, uh, Tom Riddle's life. <laughs> you could call that fix. Fuck it. Rocks fall and everybody died. <laughs> you have a survival list. Yeah, now somebody asked me an anti-fix-it anti question where there was like a nuclear explosion. And I I said, no, that wouldn't count because they were – but it could count. And I, so I kind of have to amend what I said before is that it could count because it depends upon who the protagonist is. Is the protagonist the person who intended to set off the bomb? Because the, then they the, won. Exactly. The, Right. The example was that somebody doesn't go to work one day, whereas in Canon they went to work. And when they went to work that day, they stopped the bomb from going off. When they don't go to work and the bomb goes off. And they called it an anti-fix-it. Okay. Well, on the surface, I would say, no, that doesn't count. But it could count if the bomber was the protagonist. Point of view is everything. Or if somebody dies in the bombing... That makes your main character's life miserable. <laughs> and your main character's life actually gets better because they skipped work and missed the bomb. <laughs> right. But the thing is, if you call it an anti-fix-it, that tells you the point of view is things are just not fixed for your main character. Because um, it's not an anti-fix-it if your main character was the person setting off the bomb. It's a fix-it for them. So... It, Point of view, point of view, point of view, point of view. Can't stress it enough. And the most important thing is that you understand who your main character is and what the fix is and how that affects your story and how that carries through the story. Because it is one thing that's important, and this is something that is completely up to you to be, to honor, is that the fix it is, is part of the theme of the story. 
um, as opposed to just, you know, a minor thing. If I mean, if you spend 50K basically regurgitating canon after your fix, I, I don't feel like that's honoring the theme at all. But and we'll you know, be judging you I'm silently. Also, oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I will be judging. Say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, what, but I'm not. People... I'm not gonna... <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I'm done. I was gonna, I was gonna say, um, if you're having a hard time thinking of an idea, um, maybe instead of uh, start. At the point where you figure out something in a fandom that you want to fix and know that first. Because when I was picking out my fandom and my choice, I was like, okay, I want to do this. This is my main character. Holy fuck, I've got a lot to fix. <laughs> so, knowing from the start, okay, so, cause, okay, so what, what, what do I want to fix? What do I need to fix in my character's life? What would my character want to fix? What would be his list of things that he would want to fix? And that's how I built my plot, based on what my character wanted to fix. So if you're thinking about you don't have an idea for for um, the Quantum Bang, just think about your 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 fandoms of choice and the events in these fandoms, and pick a, um, pick an event that you want to fix. And then focus on how you would fix it. And then that way, if somebody asks you, well, what's the element of, you know, what's the fixing element of your story? You have an answer because that's where you started. That way there's no ambiguity. I mean, it, that way you don't have to ask yourself, is my story a fix-it? Because you went in with an event in mind that you wanted to fix. And this is how you choose to fix it. That's just, you know, my thought process going into it. And I had to have a, I had to have a big old giant list of, of things to fix because <sighs> I don't regret my life choices. But... um. Yeah. <laughs> so I I asked the chat room to and folks please do chime in um to give some examples of canon events that they don't like that they would want fixed. Pick a couple and work with them a little bit. Um the thing okay. is I don't but don't focus on an a plot idea, just the canon event that you would want changed that you didn't like. Um the first answer was Wash's death in Firefly. Um Normally I would refuse this one on principle because Wash isn't dead, but because we're <laughs> talking about fix-it fix it stories. Um, that one could be um, very simple or very complicated. And the reason why, yeah, the reason why um, it's, it's a, it could could be a very simple fix. It's because Wash's death occurs so close to the end of the series, well, the end of the movie, um, that fixing his death just like you you couldn't start from fixing his death in a 50k story because um, well, I guess you could, but I don't know what story you'd be telling because <laughs> there's not much left of the canon at that point. 
for you to have ripples. So your ripples would all be post-series stuff. Um, but like the person who asked the question mentioned, um, or you could set, you could, you could go way back and start making changes further back in Firefly Canon and tell a story that leads the crew to a different place so they're not in that place where Wash died at all. It never happened. So it's not a case of timing or Wash isn't the one piloting. They just aren't there. So that would be a more long and involved story. And that is a case of where you're making changes that ripple into your fix. Now, um, I know how I would fix it. Go for it. I haven't watched a movie in a long time, but who is with him in the cockpit? It's Mal, isn't it? I thought he was Mal. Um, yeah, okay. Mal. Okay. Um, what if it was River and she caught it? It's that simple. I mean, River is... Yeah. That's, that would I mean, be like the simple fix it. Um, but you wouldn't have she, a 50 She caught it, deflected it. Well, you could if River is in that cockpit because she knew it was coming. What if, after the events of Serenity, they're on their way and Zoe reveals that she's pregnant? And River thinks to herself, you know what? Hell no. And she goes out there and she finds a way to travel back in time. Or she sends herself a message. And you can have her do little things along the way, like save the preacher, you know. Just hopping around, just doing her little thing, being her little weird-ass self. (laughs) And then end your fic where she catches the projectile that would have killed Wash. And sends it right back where it came from. We did that message in a bottle thing with Stargate. What if River found a way to send herself messages in the past? It's a sci-fi, um, a sci-fi story. So there, you know, there, there, there's all kinds of things that are happening. She could even have a little nerdy guy with his little robot girlfriend. a lot I was really sad when he died in the movie yeah yeah so uh, if that's the robot girlfriend guy huh I said both Wash and the robot girlfriend guy (laughs) I was really sad when both of them died yeah but when it comes to that in, in that example you could start with Wash not dying and then that's a fix and then what are the consequences of that? I don't know what they would be because somebody mentioned that there's comics, which I didn't even know that there were comics. So, um, but what is the ripple effect of Wash not dying? And how is that significant? Because it mean, in gen- well, what generally, we do know is that she knows she can't sacrifice herself because in the end, she's the only thing standing between the crew and certain death. So she can't sacrifice herself in that cockpit. So she has to catch that spear or get him out of the way of that spear before it hits him. 
Right, and that would be an example of you make a change that you, well, yeah, you're making a change that presumably is rippling into the fix of her saving wash at the end. So, but it all just depends upon are you making the change and then going forward, or are you, or are you I mean, making the fix and then going forward, or are you making a change and building to the fix? And the, the time travel thing is usually making the change that builds into the fixing. Or the fix, it could be the fix, the fix is rippling out. It's happening progressively. With time travel, you would typically, that would be the angle, is that the fix is either like little fix it's building or your little changes working into a big fix. Um, we got some other examples. Um, I pasted them out. Questions? Um, and I want to give an example in both about um, a change that moves into the fix versus the fix that moves into change because it's a, it's a slightly different angle depending on what you're doing. The next one was how Abby treated McGee over shooting the dog. We're talking about Jethro when the the dog that bit McGee that Abby forced him to adopt. Is that what we're talking about? Well I wait for the profane. (laughs) Yeah, we'll wait for the next one while wait for the answer on if that's what she's talking about. Um, yes, okay. So there was an event where uh, McGee, I believe he was bitten by a dog, um, and uh, Abby had a soft spot for the dog, so even though she had been ordered to turn the dog in, she like disobeyed orders and showed up at a crime scene and somehow proved that the dog was doing something right or whatever. And so the dog was like, got a stay of execution or something, and she forced McGee to adopt the dog, even though the dog had like bitten McGee and he was terrified of him. Um so if you want the fix to be that didn't happen, you would make a change conceivably earlier in before those events happened where like somebody who was in charge stepped in and there were some consequences for all. Because there were a lot of really shitty shenanigans in that episode. Um, was that the episode where McGee locked Tony out of the car when they were being chased I by a dog know. or was that a separate dog incident? I think that was a separate um, dog incident. I'm not sure. Ellie's saying yes, and then she's saying no. <laughs> Get in the corner. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so there's that was that was a different dog episode where, where McGee locked Tony out of the car. Um, so in the episode where Abby forces him to adopt Jethro, um, Chase was up. Chase Chase two seasons later. Okay, I haven't watched early some of these seasons in a long time. Some of them I never watched. Some episodes I never watched more than once because, holy crap! Sometimes I'd watch an NCIS episode, and my brain would hurt for days. Um, and that was an episode that really annoyed me. Um, I had no interest in rewatching because I just found it so egregious that he would be bitten by a dog, and that Abby would then force him to, um, and that he would so give in to that make- and agree. Yeah, that oh, everybody man, that just thinks that was okay. And, and it's not just, yeah, because you, you could, now depend upon the angle you want to go with the fix. Do you want to fix things where McGee has more of a spine and he says no I to would. her? Um, do you want to fix things so that um, 
is it a, is is your fix McGee not having to adopt the dog, or is your fix that you want Abby to be forced to behave like a professional? So it's a very different spin. What you're doing, are you trying to put in like a better management chain at NCIS, and Abby has to behave like a professional, and none of those shenanigans happen, or is your angle that you want McGee to grow as a character and say no? And that's two different stories. Because McGee saying no does not require his management chain to responsible and professional. It, in that case, I would probably insert a change further back where McGee has some kind of moment where he stands up and realizes that he has a line in the sand that he won't cross and he, his spine firms up, right? Um, and then when that moment comes, he just tells Abby, you can't bully me into adopting this dog. Because she is a bully. Right, she is a bully. Um, or, But if you want there to be a change in the management thing, I would probably have to move, move that back a little bit. I'd probably be putting a different director in position if I wanted to. And that'd be kind of a convoluted way of my fix of getting Abby under control. But maybe you got a new director. Maybe, um, maybe you have a story where they fail a lab certification. Uh, they get audited and they fail a lab certification. And part of the um, their probation period and not losing their accreditation, because losing your lab accreditation is a big deal, is that Abby has to work under a supervisor. And um, picking that, I could pick, you know, I have to watch some NCIS episodes to pick the episode where I found procedure particularly glaringly bad, and then have a lab manager in place. Um, and so none of that stuff happens with that person basically looking over her shoulder, making sure things go differently. But that's a very different fix than McGee standing up for himself. But it would resonate, and it would also ripple. Because if he stands up for himself there, then he would stand up for himself in other areas where it would be much more important. Mm-hmm. Like during hiatus. Yeah. Like during dead air. Or to follow on with what Kira just said, um, what if that was the moment? What if that was the moment when she said, You're taking this dog home? That he said, No, I'm really not. And he decides right then and there, he has his moment there with the dog where he learns how to say no to Abby, to Gibbs, to everybody else who's bullying him in his life, that that's his first step is over that dog. And that is the beginning. And then that ripples out into something else. It could be a fix for dead air. It could be, I mean, so. Just having some damn self-respect for himself and his career. Yeah. If you want to do a Tim-focused story, that could lead into him getting promoted, learning to say no, standing up for himself. It could lead to him getting promoted and having his own team. That could be the ripple consequences of him just saying, no, I'm not adopting this dog. Um, It could ripple into 
I have to remember exactly. I want to say that it happened in season five. Um, was that before or after hiatus? I think it was hiatus. after. I think the dog thing was between hiatus and uh, between hiatus, sometime in those two seasons, between hiatus and when Jenny Shepard died. Um, it could, I'd have to check when it occurred, but if, if the dog thing, um, let me see if I can find it. Because I was just thinking, if suddenly Tim is more confident of himself, starts focusing on his career and being a good agent, if he was that kind of agent by the time Rhoda got offered to Tony, would Tony have stayed? Okay, so it's season five. So it's between Judgment Day, which is when Tony's undercover op is revealed, and... um, Bear, oh, sorry, but bury your dead and judge between bury your dead and judgment day, um, which so it's the fifth, middle of fifth season. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else significant. Requ- Requiem happens after that, I believe, or it's Requiem before that. Where is my NCS timeline? Because it can be played, actually, that one of the reasons why Tony said no to Rhoda is because he knew he couldn't trust Tim in the field with Gibbs. Yeah. And if if he legitimately knew that he could, that would be about a season before. Um, now, the thing is, if you fix, if you back up, if you, let's say you back up to season three and you start fixing some stuff, what if while Gibbs was gone, um, Tony has a heart-to-heart with McGee about the way he's acting, and McGee shapes up. Well, then that dog thing just never happens, so your fix is implicit. Um, because maybe McGee and Tony aren't even around anymore. Maybe Tony does go to Rhoda, and maybe McGee um, winds up in SFA on a different team. Let me get back to season five. Trying to think of what all happened after. I'm not personally one much by for juggling episodes around more than um, an episode or two. Um, if if so, for instance, I wouldn't say that an event personally, an event that took place in season five, actually took place in season four. It just it. <laughs> Complicated timeline. But you could like create your me. own event. You can mm-hmm, create you, you could. could create your own event to give Tim an epiphany. Right. Um, but if that event occurs before the dog thing, then the dog thing might never come up depending upon your ripples. Um, because I think that one of the things people forget is that when you make a major change, you need to consider everything from that point forward as a blank slate and evaluate it to see if it fits as opposed to trying to ripple into canon. Cause that's where you make, that's where you, that's where you get people get messed is they make a big change and then they try to take all the canon events and figure out how those canon events will be tweaked. But you're assuming any of those canon events occurred. 
So if Tim has learned how to say no, and you give him a moment, say in season three or season four, where he has a moment, you have to really look at all of the events. And the further out an event is from that moment where he says no, he stands up for himself, the less likely that event that occurs with him is likely to occur. Because if it's a significant change in him, he's, there's going to be a lot of events between him learning how to be a, a grown-up and that dog bite to assume that, that dog bite's going to happen the way it happened in canon. It's, it's a big leap to try to make that occur. The thing is, is the dog might not even bite him. Tim's very timid. But if Tim yeah. were more in control of the situation, there's every reason to believe that dog would not have bit him. He was the weak, he was the weak link in the room. Or where, I don't even remember how that actually happened. But um, the dog was on drugs? Is that what happened? Yeah, it had been, I remember that. It had been exposed to some, and then I think when Abby takes it out there, they find the drugs in the woods or something. I don't remember exactly how that went down. The dog was high. Um, yeah, okay, Tim was alone coming to the back door with no backup. Um, so, but things would be different. So the further back you go, so if you make, let's say you make your change to McGee two years before this event occurs, you have to look at every event to see, figure out what, and you actually can't just look at the event. You have to figure out exactly how McGee's path ripples out. And if you're trying to work towards that dog bite episode, you might wind up with a suddenly inexplicable, I'm making my air quotes, case of writer's block because, and it wouldn't be that inexplicable, because it doesn't actually make sense that Tim is on that path any longer. Because he's had two years of saying no, of having boundaries. And if he's doing all of that, would he, would, would things be going the same way on the NCIS team? And, and the answer is probably not. The thing is, is that the writers at NCIS had an excellent opportunity for this because he did have a moment where he stood up for himself and told somebody no in canon. And it happened during... Um, Boxton. No. Before that. It, hap- it happened during Chained or Unchained or... Oh, that's right. He told uh, sec- uh, the chain, Deputy Secretary chain. of State to suck it or stick it. Because she's wasting his time. That was a moment when he could have had a complete turnaround as a character. But they did not, and they're actually really known for this. Um, That writing team never resonated character changes through episodes. There was no growth. None of them grew, honestly. (laughs) None of them did. That was one of the problems with the, the characters. It was the difficult characters... to believe that Abby was actually older than um, Tony. That's why after, when you have characters that after two or three seasons, they don't evolve, um, they start becoming caricatures rather than characters. And that's that's no good. So I think that with that particular example, Ellie, I think that's a good example of where you could start there 
and ripple out changes, or you could go back in time and make a change that ripples out so that those events wouldn't occur. But the further back in time you go, the less likely it is that he would ever be walking through that door. So that's something to just bear in mind when you're making changes to try to ripple towards a fix in canon is that your changes may obliterate the piece of canon you're trying to fix. And that's fine, you know, just be aware of it. Don't try to force canon to happen. It always feels contrived. It all cuz if you ever you ever read a story where your head tilt and go, but with all of these changes, why in the world would he have gone after Hermione on his own? <laughs> You know, I mean, we, if he, we've all had that moment where we don't understand why a character is doing something like they did it in canon. And so the further back you make a change, uh, the less likely it is that the canon event you're trying to fix is going to still occur. Now, some things will, in like a show like NCIS, there's things in the world that will still occur, no matter what you're doing with your characters, probably. Um, Odds are nothing that you're doing internally with the cast at NCIS is going to be affected, is going to change Harper Deering's mind about driving that um, uh, SUV up to the front doors of NCIS and blowing it up. Because that's something that was kind of external to the cast and and the story going on at NCIS. So Tony being there or not being there isn't probably going to change that. So there's big macro events that probably aren't going to be touched. But the, the, the more personal, the more something's related to interpersonal, the more something is pivotal on a specific character, uh, the further out you go from a change, the less likely it is it's going to occur the same way or occur at all. Okay, so I think we covered that one. We had another one. And if I missed any, I think I only got these three, so if I missed any, um, or if anybody else wants to chime in with some examples. Uh, the next example was Peter Pettigrew not getting away in third year was the thing that they would like to see fixed. And so we need at least two examples, one where we change that and it ripples out, and one where we rip, do a change that ultimately leads to him not getting away. The change that ripples, that I would think that would ripple out, would be that he's found earlier. that he doesn't even get to third year to escape. That makes sense. Yeah, you know, we actually it would be really nice if the twins noticed that their brother was sharing a bed with a dead guy. That'd be great, actually, you know. <laughs> Hey, yeah, that's an interesting idea. Predigrew in Gryffindor, because how many first years do we have, and, and why is Ron sharing a bed with Wood? <laughs> they go in there, and there's Scrabbers, and Ron. Except on the map, it's Peter and Ron. The twins aren't dumb. <laughs> they should have no, they noticed. They should have noticed. It's a it's a plot hole. Now, see, that's the case of where just fixing that, like the twins, you start your story, the twins are looking at the map, ask whatever they get it, and they notice that Pettigrew is, is in the first year's dorm. And the twins catch Peter Pettigrew. Okay. That is 
the, that would be the start of something. That wouldn't be a, a 50K story on its own. So what is the story you want to set that as the foundation for? Is it um, getting serious out of prison earlier? Is it, you know, is, is, is it a fix for serious? Is it a fix for Harry where he gets to have, you know, real parents or whatever? Um, so I'd like to see a Percy Redemption pedigree found. Oh, like oh, you mean like Percy figured out that his pet wasn't actually a rat? You think he would have? Yeah, it could even happen before Harry goes to Hogwarts. That's true. The twins find the map and they figure out that Percy, there's a Peter Pettigrew with Percy all the time, and they start to get suspicious. If they figure that out as first years, you know that would be. Um. But still, them getting Pettigrew, that's still a fairly, to me, a fairly minor, um, it's a starting point. It's not a 50K story on its own. So what is it that you ultimately are trying to fix? Because it can't just be Pettigrew not getting away. That's a plot device. That's not really a purpose of a story. So it's a terrible thing. We don't want Pettigrew to get away. Now, if you just want to fix that scene... That one scene where Pettigrew escaped, I mean, you could do all kinds of different shenanigans, but capturing Pettigrew before that moment so that he doesn't escape could be the foundation for a lot of different kinds of fixes. Right. I mean, that's what we're saying. It, it, it could be a, a fix-it for Sirius. It could be a fix-it for Harry's living situation. It could be a lot of fix-its. Pettigrew gets... Um, consequences, Sirius gets out of jail, Harry gets uh, somebody else, Dumbledore is held to account for his actions. You could be fixing a whole lot of shit by the twins paying attention to that map. So that's starting with a change and then it ripples into a fix. It's, it's also That actually is arguably starting with a fix that ripples into a bigger fix. But um, what if when Percy found Peter, he took him to his dad, and his dad said, you know what, Percy? Yeah, you you could keep this as a pet, but we're going to take him and get him examined first to make sure he's okay. Parent lets their kid pick a a wild rat up out out of the wilderness and bring it home, and without even getting it checked out by something or someone, right? right? So what if Arthur takes it to the ministry to register it as a pet or a familiar or whatever, and they do a test, and it's an animagus? And they're like, holy shit. And then they find out, and then they find out they've got Sirius Black in prison. He's been there a couple of months for killing somebody who's not actually dead. It opens up the whole thing. And suddenly Sirius Black is not in prison in Azkaban for that whole time. His grandfather catches wind of it. That was a big fit. Arthur gets a reward. (laughs) Or whatever. Yeah. What what if um, Percy brings the rat in? How old was Percy when he found the rat? Ten? Nine or something like that? Wasn't it before Hogwarts? Yeah. 
How old was it? It was before Hogwarts. I don't remember. Oh, oh, oh no, he he found Pettigrew shortly after um, Sirius went to jail, right? Yeah. Okay, so what if um, what if Amelia Bones happened to be there at the house for whatever reason? You have to come up with a reason. Um, and um, they find, you know, Percy wants to keep this rat. Now, I I don't think that Peter would let people blindly cast. Um, he'd have a better chance of escape. He'd be trying to escape if someone's going to cast um, any kind of registration spell or anything on him. If he thought mm-hmm. he was going to have a chance of being found out, he would be trying to escape. Well, so what if they wanted to do a health diagnostic, um, but they didn't know, like, animal health diagnostic spells, and Amelia happens to be there, and she says, oh, I can do them for you and save you some trouble. And, of course, a health diagnostic for an animal is going to reveal that it's not an animal. Um, but what if Peter flips out and doesn't, he knows that it's going to reveal that he's a human and he tries to escape. And so she, um, maybe he Sounds starts biting and thrashing. Him. Yeah. So he starts biting and thrashing. Um, and so she stuns him and then runs the health diagnostic and finds out that it's Peter. Sirius is barely going to be in prison any time at all. If you do that. They'd have to move quick to undermine Dumbledore. Yeah. You could even, and I'm, and I'm saying, I can't believe I'm saying this, write it kind of as a good Molly fic sort of thing where, um, you know, she's not totally corrupted by Dumbledore at that point because that's kind of my head canon is that she's kind of corrupted by him. And she's appalled by what he's done, his deceptions. And she never falls for any of his his shenanigans. And maybe she's furious. Well, that should have been a fix it all along. Is that she's furious that Dumbledore's lying meant that a murderer, basically, um, slept in the bed with her kids for years. Why she wasn't mad at him about that, I do not know. I don't either. Because what the fuck? They're lucky that um, Pettigrew wasn't a child molester. Well, there's plenty of fan fiction episodes out there where people have written it that he is. Well, I've hinted at it. I've Yeah, I have. Of course, I think that he chose the Weasley family because of their connection to the Order of the Phoenix and Dumbledore so he could, you know, kind of keep a spy on a situation... Um, to make himself more useful when his Dark Lord came back. But, uh... That's another matter, that he's let, basically, um, through ignorance or maliciousness, an enemy stay in one of the houses of his... one of his... compatriots. Yeah. There's no telling how much information Peter was able to gather um, during that time. All things that were just not explored in canon, which is, it's just, it, it does make Harry Potter like the buffet, like a, a feeding ground for fan fiction writers, because there's just so many opportunities to make, when you just explain something that doesn't make sense. 
can lead you to 150,000 words. It's terrible or great, depending on your perspective. I'm not sure we okay, can so fix the train wreck of Abby's character. That's in the podcast. That's in the chat room. Yeah, and that one, if if that is, let's say that's the event that you want to change. That's, that's kind of more of a theme. But if that's the thing that you want to change, um, the question, well, she was, I, I liked Abby in the first, like, season, like, literally the first season. But the stuff that turned into um, the really the flaws in her character were still present in the first season. They just weren't as glaring and they weren't as obnoxious. They weren't as big and over the top. Um, That's something, but the question is, I I mean, when it comes to working on a fix it, one of the things we talked about in other podcasts is what is the purpose of your story? If the purpose of your story is to fix Abby's character, that is a completely different story than fixing Abby's character for a purpose. I hope that made sense. Um, because if you're starting, if you're lever- yet letting her character be fixed to do something else with, meaning she's sort of part of the, um, she's part of the motivation of the story, probably an external motivator, possibly an internal motivator, but based on that phrasing, I would say she's more of an external motivator. So if she's fixing being fixed for, for a purpose, that's a different story than a, a story that you just want to fix, a, a story designed to fix Abby. Um, the former could be about anybody. The latter would be a story about Abby. Well, it all depends. It, it turns out how much work it would be. It would all depend on where you set it in canon. Um, and honestly, if you're going to fix her character and you really are going to make it believable, you have to go back pretty far. Because when someone has 15 years of entrenched childish behaviors, it's just it. She's going to quit before she fixes any of that stuff. There's no way she was it, fixing season fifteen. Abby would be, although she's left the show now, but fixing season fifteen, Abby would be. I think it would be almost impossible, because with someone's got in at behaviors who's spoiled behaviors that are that deeply entrenched, especially when they are talented and smart, they're going to quit before they let themselves be quote unquote fixed. Um, if you if you go back further, the further you go back, the less work it is. The question is, why do you want to? What are you trying to do? Purpose is everything. I say I say POV is everything, and this is part of that. It's like the purpose would determine a little bit the protagonist, um, whose point of view it is. Why are you trying to do this? Well, my question would be, what do you need her for? If you yeah, need Abby be... to be different, why do you need her to be different? What um, what purpose do you have for her in, her in your story? Is it just about her character redemption, about her having a come-to-Jesus moment? Or is it um, because you need her to be a grown-ass adult for something that's going to happen? Both of which are valid. For me, I, I need a reason for Abby to grow up and be an adult because I don't like writing childish-ass characters. Even my children characters aren't childish ass characters like she is. She's a pain in the ass. Because if you write her like a 
normal person, then you're writing her out of character. Yeah. I The most positively I ever portrayed Abby in a story was in Emergence. And I found ex- writing her exhausting, just trying to keep her in character, but in a positive way. Um, it would have been easier and less work to just have her be a pain in the ass. But I was trying to write Sage in the story is that she and Tony were friends. And, um, but I had to spend a lot of time dealing with her emotionalism and her wanting to be involved when it wasn't appropriate. And um, it just, it was, it was tiring writing her because she, she's very, you know, emotional and she's very, she doesn't take no very well. Even when you're writing her in a positive way, she doesn't take that kind of stuff well. So, and if you um, do, and I read and you make her do it, she ends up being completely out of character, and it's jarring. But I've read stories where Abby is a real grown-up. You know, she's very responsible. She's and I just I'm like, this is a great character. It's not Abby, but it's a nice character that works well for the story. It's just it's not Abby. And you can write her as a grown-ass adult, but I think you need context. Now, I think the way they wrote her out of the show is something that you could do with Abby um, to give her a wake-up call. I didn't see the episode, but basically what I heard about the way they wrote out of the show, so this is like a spoiler from the season that just ended, I guess, I think. So if you don't want the spoiler because you haven't seen it, like plug your ears for a couple of seconds. As I remember what I heard, she is with another agent and they're like mugged or something after dinner and he it takes a bullet for her and dies and she did he i think he had some special cause or something that he was planning to leave ncis to do i don't remember something altruistic um like i said my sister explained all this to me but i don't really remember um and she decides because he gave his life she had a big like epiphany and because he gave his life for her she decides to leave ncis and do the thing that he um, no longer could do because he died for her. Um, that I could see giving her, I mean, that's a very jarring moment for a character. And I could see that being kind of a wake up call moment for her. And you could do something like that where you give her like a really shocking wake up call that sort of turns her around. And then maybe you put her in an environment, people who don't pander to her. Um, it could be, you could do that at any point in canon and it's, it's an adjustment for, it would be an adjustment for her. But if, so if you're writing a redemption arc for her, that's a very different, you know, as Tara said, it's a very different story than needing her to be more grown up to serve some other purpose. And if she's serving some other purpose because she's a grown up, then that arc of her growing up would be something I would mention, you know, after Abby, you know, did blah, 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 blah. She you know, was something more professional at work, and it would be a mention in somebody else's story as opposed to an arc of its own. What if in the episode where she met her brother, what if she was the one that donated the kidney? And had an epiphany during that process. That'd be a good moment for her. 
think that'd be a very good moment for her. Um, but the thing about picking a moment in canon you don't like that you want to fix is well, you're going to fix that moment and what is it going to do for you? What purpose does it serve? Some things the purpose kind of gets a little bit more conflated with the event that you're fixing. Um, it's a little bit easier, but like some of these examples, they'd be fine to fix, but they would need more of a, it's, it's an event, but what does it do? Does anybody else have any examples that they want us to talk about? I don't think uh, I Ellie did. Um, how many times did Mrs. Fig watch hair growing up and never explain magic? Well, I always figure that she was under orders. Is that an event that she wants fixed, or she was just asking a question based upon something? I think that was a question about the conversation we were having earlier. Or are you saying you would? That's an event that you'd want to fix. That Mrs. You'd want Mrs. Fig to tell Harry about magic. It would ripple out. It would be. It would be a huge ripple. Harry wouldn't enter the world, the magical world, completely at a loss. Because what if Mrs. Fig texts him to Diagon Alley to buy his supplies? What if she confronts Petunia about how he's being treated? And she tells her, you know you'll pay for this, right? You know you can't get away with treating a magical child like this forever. You have a choice. You can either raise him with care, or you can raise him to be the kind of person that comes back here when he gets wand rights and curses the shit out of you. Paying attention. Because seriously. She's lucky that Harry's as good a person as he is Because if it had been me My hit list would have started with Petunia Yeah, no kidding I'm not saying I would have killed her But I'd have made her regret her life choices I I think if you're going to do a change That involves um, Mrs. Fig You'd have to have her having her epiphany When Harry's a little bit on the younger side and getting involved and changing things because if she waits till he's like 10 or something, I would just, if I were Harry, I just feel resentful towards her. So you watch me being abused for like nine years before you decide to say something right before I'm going away to boarding school. How big of you? Um, there can be unintended consequences that maybe people don't think of when they pick the point at which they're going to set something. Um, and, Ellie mentioned the ripples that Harry knows about magic. You'd be surprised at how often that ripple doesn't go anywhere in, in the Harry Potter fan fiction. Um, it, so I think that, you know, when you throw – we call them ripples because you throw a pebble into a pond, right? It's still a pond. It, it, the waveform just goes. It just keeps going. And it's like people people will throw – not a pebble, they'll throw a boulder into a pond and there'll be nothing. It's like, okay, how can there be no change? Why is Harry still down there in the chamber uh, of secrets? Why is he searching for the philosopher's stone? Why is all this stuff still happening? 
Well, here's a question, Ellie, because Ellie says, but if if she's the one giving him refuge all of his childhood, and I would ask her, if you knew I needed refuge, why didn't you do something? Yeah. She provides refuge because he... And all she had to do was go over there and put the fear of magic in Petunia. We're watching. All she has to do is say, we're watching. Dumbledore you have has no spies from wizards. She doesn't even have to say she's a squib. She could pretend to be a wizard. The thing is, it's just because she gives him refuge. Somebody who's... Uh, I have it a makes- hard time with the idea of somebody being complicit in a child abuse. Because just giving a, a horribly abused child a place to go on occasion is... It's you saying, I, I know. know you're being abused, and you can stay here for safety for a little bit, but then you have to go back home. Sorry. That's terrible. And if that's the message, that's terrible. I mean, everything has a consequence. Every change you make has consequences. And sometimes there are unintended consequences. Like if you make um, her more involved, but you don't have her tell Harry or really change anything, then I think Harry's resentment toward I think Harry's resentment towards her should have been huge to begin with. Because she was always aware of magic and she never did anything for him. So if you're fixing that, um, but you're not really having that ripple out and Harry's not resentful or I mean, it's just there can be expected consequences people sometimes don't consider. Um, like if you want Harry to not be angry, you need to you need to tie her hands in some way. Um, maybe she can't remove Harry from the house. Maybe she can't do anything about any of that. But um, that's where I would use the plot device in order to keep. If she's going to be a trusted protector of Harry, she has to do something to stop the, his his mistreatment. She can't just be a safe place to land after school. Otherwise, he's never going to trust her. She didn't do anything. And if she has to get around Dumbledore to do it, the best way to do it would be to see to send Petunia letters through the post office. <laughs> because wizards apparently don't pay attention to that shit because um, they gals. And so she could start by just listing all of the things that she's seen or not seen happen since Harry arrived. Or since she arrived, because she moved into Privet Drive in the neighborhood sometime after Harry was there. Dumbledore moved her there, like a couple years afterwards. I don't know, but it, but she wasn't there always. They had to move her in, which is telling. Um, just start by sending anonymous letters of all the shit she sees and just put a little wizard hat at the bottom of it. <laughs> And then see Harry's how looking reacts. Harry's looking a little thin. <laughs> Harry's looking a little tired. Harry's looking a little. Do we need to come by and check on Harry? We're concerned about his appearance. We're concerned about his general well-being. We can schedule a home visit. You know, she could terrorize the fuck out of the Dursleys just with a few carefully chosen words. Um, Congratulations. Um, Vernon on his promotion and ask him if he would like to have any more ever. 
sometimes, especially when we're exploring um, the ripple effect of, of a change, we get focused in one direction. And it's important to remember that changes ripple out in all directions. So you might have an unintended consequence that you aren't considering because you're focused on your goal. So, you know, stretching the metaphor a bit thin here, but take some time to look around and think about what the other consequences are of the changes that you're making. They might try to move, but Dumbledore won't let them. Um well, if they tried to move, Dumbledore they, would show up, which would confirm their worst fears. That they're being watched. Um, they might try to take it out on Harry. Make his situation work. You can have a to- whole story just told in letters. Call it Dear Petunia. <laughs> And when you do a story like that, the action, if you, do, if you do the whole thing in letters, the audience gets to infer everything that happened by the next letter. So if letter one comes in, Dear Petunia, um, Harry was hurt, you know, Harry was outside for an awful long time. He seemed to be getting a tad sunburned. You know, do you... Is there a reason that he, he was outside for so long or something like that? And then the next letter says it's good to see Harry without a sunburn. He does look a bit thin. And you kind of just go over the consequences of her getting the letter. Petunia, you seem a bit agitated these days. Do we need to send you a calming potion? <laughs> I noticed you. Know, there's you. actually a Harry Potter fic where the neighbors create a campaign to improve Harry's circumstances. And they do it by making sure that Petunia overhears them gossiping about her. About how her nephew looks tired and worn down and underfed and how he doesn't have proper clothes. And one of them offers to do a funding drive to, you know, to give them money to take care of Harry. And Petunia gets so mortified that she just completely turns everything around. (laughs) Because the neighbors see that Harry's being mistreated, but they don't, their calls don't get any traction because of Dumbledore, so they start using malicious gossip to get Petunia and Vernon in line. Because they're so obsessed with their appearance of being normal. That would be great. Well, it is great. I haven't read it. If anybody can find it. That would be awesome. The Fick Ninjas in chat, even. But it would also be funny if it was Mrs. Fig, and she was just like, um, you know, and she could even go get magical stuff from Diagon Alley. And <laughs> I'm sending this potion for Harry. He has to take it. I will know if he doesn't. I'm glad to see Harry's vision is improved because of the potions I sent. You look stressed. Should I send you a potion? (laughs) (laughs) There could be phone calls. 
I'm just saying there are ways that Mrs. Fig could, could totally just fuck Petunia up, and Dumbledore would never know. Because he's so arrogant, he doesn't pay attention to muggle things. <laughs> Ellie, that's great. <laughs> she says, Petunia's helping out at the school bake sale and finds out part of it is for her family. That would be amazing. I would totally read that. There was also something, I think, in that fic about how Harry got sent home a form for school for free lunch or something, or or something to do with um, charity because he didn't have snack money or lunch money or or something. I'm not sure how that works in the UK, but there was something, and she was mortified that they thought that they needed public assistance. I think Harry had been stealing are all about uh, parents. Dudley had been stealing his lunch money or something. I don't know. <laughs> Vernon would stroke out. As says the local church adopts the Dursley families during the holidays as their charity case. <laughs> calls him in and says I understand you're having a difficult time financially oh god it could get really, that could get really interesting I know you make a good salary Vernon Are, do you guys have unexpected medical bills or you do have a gambling problem do we need to get you into Gamblers Anonymous what if he has is your nephew ill or right there? <laughs> It's so good of you to take your orphan nephew in and raise him as your own. <laughs> God, it is called GA. What if he had pamphlets for GA right there or Narcotics Anonymous? See, I don't know what the issue is. We're t- I'm trying to think of everything that could be t- put, putting such a drain on your finances that you can't afford to clothe your nephew. So, you know, my wife. company. <laughs> My wife is on the committee for the church of whatever, and um, we saw that you guys were on the list for Christmas. I'm just very concerned, Vernon. The best part would be, though, when it comes out that they don't actually have money problems and they get accused of fraud. <laughs> they get accused of defrauding all these charities <laughs> that they didn't even ask for. Yeah, you could definitely do a lot with Mrs. Fig getting more involved with um, Harry's life or getting involved at all with Harry's life when he's young. She could be a real force for change for him. Um, but just a little bit here or there can kind of put her, you know, um, while not doing anything to really improve his situation, she's just improving his situation when he's not at home. It kind of puts her more in being a, in a more like Dumbledore, honestly, to me anyway. Um, not, you know, 
knowing that there's a, abuse going on, but deciding it's for a purpose, so it must be all right, or to let it go. That's just, uh, no. no. It's actually my head canon that she spelled to ignore it, or to not report it to anybody but Dumbledore. That's probably true. I have to think that a lot of people, um, just people who are just generally good people, I mean, you, you see them doing good things in canon, but then they're ignoring the things that are happening that they really should be paying attention to. You're left to assume that, that Dumbledore is just a monster and that he is manipulating practically every adult that he possibly can. And that boils down to okay. limits of point of view, and because it's all it's, it's mostly told from Harry's point of view, and Harry is like we've discussed before, the least curious child to ever be created in the fantasy um um AU. Ever? Also, the least curious child to ever be the central character of the story. Um, <laughs> Period. <laughs> We'd have had some damn information if her if it had been Hermione in the Philosopher's Stone. We know some shit. <laughs> Hermione Granger and the Philosopher's Stone. We've got 20 minutes. If somebody else has another thing in canon, or we could just give some more examples of... We could try to come up with another scenario of not a fix-it, maybe a fix-it, definitely a fix-it. Let's do one okay. We did NCIS. Let's do an MCU one. Um, okay. <laughs> Generally, so I don't want to do this straight, you know, alternate setting thing as um, again as the not a fix it. But you could have in in that vein if you just or if you're writing a let's say you're writing Steve. Tony getting together right after the events of the Avengers. Um, odds are, if it's just a that's not might probably isn't much of a fix it, but uh, you could position it to be one. Because, but it depends upon how you follow that through, right? Um, because you could leverage Tony and Steve getting together romantically as a fix for the Winter Soldier, as a fix for Age of Ultron. Um, if Steve has a different primary influence, the whole MCU after the Avengers could be dramatically different. So you could leverage the change in the romantic status as an epic change for the series. But if it's just a romance of them getting together, um, I mean, it's kind of a pairing fix-it, but it doesn't have much to it besides that. It doesn't, it, you're not, like, I would feel like you're not, like, taking advantage of the obvious potential um, potential fixes that you could do with, because there's a, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s influence on Steve and him leave, them leaving him so uninformed led to a lot of really bad shit. And stupid decisions. Um, yeah. Um. 
there are a lot, there are so many things you could fix in the MCU though. Um, that, and that's, but that, I mean, I would call that, that's like a canon interrupt, a canon divergence that leads to so many things getting fixed. And sometimes canon divergences don't lead to canon fixes, but sometimes they do. And sometimes the fix is that an event doesn't occur, but they could find Bucky sooner. You know, Steve doesn't um, go off dump the all rails. That data. Right. Maybe they stop Project Insight sooner. Um, there's so much you could do by getting Steve a more stable, a, a different influence. And, and like nobody has the influence and also on you giving Tony does. a different influence. If um, if you see if Tony sees Shield trying to manipulate Steve after the um, after the events of the Avengers. He starts seeing a lot more manipulation than he was exposed to in canon, and he's try he's seeing how they're trying to to work Steve as a weapon. Um, is he going to build them a fleet of fucking helicarriers? Is no, he going to help not. them with technology? Is he going to dig deep into Shield and see what's going on? You betcha. Tony to find Hydra if he got into their database. Well, he was in. He just never did anything with it. Right. But what if he did? What if they started fucking with his man? He's like, you know what? I don't like what you're up to, Fury. So I'm going to do some investigating because you're mess- you're caught blocking me. I can't have that. <laughs> I can't have a caught block. Loud. <laughs> if they had gotten a hold of Hydra quicker, they might have been able to prevent the use of the scepter on the twins. But more importantly, they might have gotten um, a hold of everything before it could all go to shit. Yeah. I, and the thing is, I would have – Kira and I were talking after the last podcast. We were talking about sort of the desecrating your unicorn thing. Um, as I was pondering it after the podcast, is that I think my ultimate unicorn is Bruce Banner. It's just not from, – from a fandom fan fiction perspective, I just don't have a lot of impetus to write there. But, like, that's a character that is, like – he's so far up on the pedestal for me that I just can't deal with bad things happening to him. So I, I would have a hard time not writing an MCU fix-it that didn't work out to fix this for Bruce. Um, even if my main characters were like Tony and Steve, I'd be fixing stuff for Bruce along the way just because that's – I have to. MCU fucked him over so badly that um, even, if, cause even if I was writing him as a main character, like in a romantic pairing or something, I, I would still be fixing things for him because I really hated what they did. Uh him in the, in the in the movies. I find um, the manipulation of uh, what I find what Wanda did to um, to the Hulk to be appalling. So like I said before in a previous podcast, um, it is my head canon that um, the, um, the Hulk is the dissociative personality um, for Bruce and the Hulk was created when Bruce was a child and that personality never grew up. 
So to me, the Hulk is a big child, and she raped his mind. And I, it's so fucking obscene. And then they let her on the team. It's not even counting yeah. what she did to Tony. Yeah. Because she's ultimately responsible for the creation of Ultron. Yeah, I, I agree she is. It was, that was not Tony and Bruce. That was that was Wanda. Um and the and the thing about um Black Widow, as we were talking one of the things we, that Kira mentioned after after um after the last podcast when we were talking about Bruce was that considering how Natasha betrayed Bruce, it it made it look like that she had gotten involved with him romantically to control the Hulk, which put a really ugly spin on their relationship. And it's just like extra ugly. Um, even, even if my fix was about fixing, you know, trying to prevent the crap that went down in the winter soldier and fixing Steve kind of things that kind of overall for Steve, I would always, always, always level up that fix and fix stuff for Bruce too, because I just, Look, what I want to know in the MCU is where the hell is Betty? I know. They just – it's like they didn't do anything. After the Incredible Hulk movie, they just didn't do anything with Betty. I'm just saying. Yeah. If he was suddenly it, yeah, comfortable I, enough to have a relationship with Natasha, then where the fuck is Betty? If if because uh, Betty was always able to handle the Hulk, and she loved Bruce, and she wasn't in it to control anybody. I'm just yeah. Bruce was in love with Betty. Um, her father kind of ruined it. Yeah, I mean, I could see, I could see you making the spin, the the, the argument that there's too much between them for them to be together. That there's just, you know, her father is a big obstacle. Um, I mean, unless a story, a story that has them together, I mean, Betty kind of has to like be like ready to be done with her father, um, and she wasn't there in. Canon. Um, uh, uh, Lee asked in the chat room, "Is it um, and Natasha supposedly scared of the Hulk? How do you reconcile that with a guy you're dating who turns into the Hulk after she starts dating Bruce, and bluntly after she starts fucking Bruce? Hulk no longer tries to attack her. If you watch um, Age of Ultron, um, the opening scene when they get finished with the fight and they have to bring the Hulk down." Steve says Natasha in to do it, and she does. She yeah. brings the Hulk down, and it's her, 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 her on the video in Thor Ragnarok that gets the Hulk to finally give up control and let Bruce back. In so my, my, I always thought their their relationship never made sense, but you know, Kira mentioned that it, you know, with everything that happened, it made it look like that she had gotten involved. 
It looked like she was involved with Bruce on orders, especially since she betrayed him. Um, so easily. It's just so ugly. So I would, you know, I might be writing a story about Steve and Tony, and they might be my protagonists, but I, I'd have a, I'd have a Bruce subplot that'd be fixing stuff. And Tony be getting all up in Bruce's business. I'm like, are you sure you want to be getting involved with somebody who works for Shield? Is your chef what you want to do? I just got done getting Steve out of that. I, I don't know that you should be doing it. Right? I, you know, um, I've been on the fence about Steve Rogers, and mostly because of the Civil War thing that I only read the synopsis of and his actions. Um, but I've also come to realize that. Um, from the moment he's unfrozen, Steve is manipulated and fucked over from minute one. Oh yeah. What what Shield did with with Steve was which is why I think if I were to do a fix it for Steve, it would have to start with the Avengers. And I would probably use Tony as my my my, you know, device to fix things for Steve where he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. What are they telling you? What do you know about the world? What do you know about what's going on? What do you know about the missions you're going on? How do you know you're even working for the right people? I mean, because I, I, I alluded to this a little bit in stick around, but um, the, the World Security Council decided to drop a nuke on New York when there were a few thousand dead, basically, from what we can tell. Um, a nuke on like uh, that would have probably killed 11 million people. They should have had casualties in the hundreds of thousands and the battle looking like it was going to spread beyond Manhattan before they took that action. That was unconscionable that they would drop a nuke at that point. Um, and Steve should have had an issue with it. He should have had an issue with the World Security Council. And effectively, he was working for them. And that could be a wake-up point for wake-up call for Tony. Is like, well, wait a minute. Why are you, you know, why are you listening to these people? They tried to do- drop a nuke on us for for with no cause. So, um, they hadn't even brought the military in at that point. The president hadn't had time to mobilize the United States military to help in New York yet, and they're sending a nuclear weapon? This was not like, this wasn't even hours into the battle. This was minutes. I mean, maybe 45 if you look at the scope of the the actual battle, you know, and not do real-time movie time. Um, This is not... um, a nuclear weapon isn't your go-to choice out of the gate. No, not that quick. Unless you're, I mean, unless you're Hydra. Unless you're Hydra, yeah. Because, and trying to wipe out the Avengers and probably most of S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, you've got to look at it in the, from the perspective of, no, there's no way an hour or two had passed. Uh, the, the battle would have spread way beyond. The battle was too contained for it to have been more than a fairly short amount of time. I would guess it was probably 20, 25 minutes. Um, like I said, they hadn't had time to get the military on scene yet. Yeah, they hadn't even had time to be able to relay information effectively. The police were still floundering about what is going on. They hadn't even really begun any kind of coordination with first responders. They were just trying to get people off the streets. And 
there was still very early days, I mean, very early in that battle when they decided to send a nuke. Um, on that would have probably had direct casualties in the millions, and I would say probably close to 10 million people directly dead. And then they could have had a more millions more die of uh, radiation exposure after the fact. I mean, the the deaths, the collateral damage deaths would have been astronomical as well. So millions and millions, tens, probably tens of millions of people dying with a battle that hadn't had time to claim more than. I would say an aggressive estimate would be 100,000 people. Those Leviathans weren't going through the buildings. They were going around them. If anybody's watched Rampage, it gives you a different perspective on what was going on in that battle. The Leviathans were causing structural damage, or for the most part, unless unless they were being destroyed, they were going around the buildings. They were trying to fly around them. Whereas, like in Rampage, um, that those that those, that giant alligator was just climbing through buildings <laughs> and bringing yeah. them down. It's fun as hell. Very fun. It is fun. It's a whole different um, scale, you know. So if you think about those Leviathans were acting like that, you could say that that sec- section of Manhattan could have had a million deaths. But even so, how do you justify dropping a nuclear warhead on them that quickly? It just doesn't make any sense. So, but the thing is, Steve never. Yeah, he might not know what it. Well, no, he should have known what a nuke is. Um, well, they had. He would have uh, known. He, he would he have known there, what a bomb was, but I don't yeah. know that he would know what a nuclear bomb is. That's true. He might have been. No, he probably he should have known. I think the first atomic bomb test happened before Steve went into the water. He should have known what an atomic bomb was. Um, even, but he may not have made. Um, he, it was dropped on Hiroshima, August sixth, nineteen forty-five. That's Hiroshima. That they, bombed, they existed before that. Right, but whether or not that was common knowledge is another matter altogether. Yeah. Because I don't remember. No, they did test them. They weren't common knowledge, but they did test them. There's videos of them being tested. Okay, Captain uh, America went down March 4th, 1945. Hiroshima happened August okay. 6, 1945. And the, the first test was in July. So, yeah, you're right. You're right. He didn't go, and he went into the water probably not knowing what an atomic bomb was. But so Tony could have explained that to him. We're down to 28 seconds. <laughs> okay. Captain America didn't know what a nuke was. He should have been told. <laughs> you guys have a great um, week, and uh, we'll catch you later. Say goodnight, Jilly. Good night, everyone.